This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Both of them sketchy and sometimes slow. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. That's to the gap in the left center. Reddick is cutting over. He won't get there. Grossman with a two-out extra base hit. And he will slam on the brakes with an RBI double. Bauer with an RBI single. And now he's three hits away from number 2,000. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, here's tweets coming in. Judd is Judd's being a hypocrite because you want you've, you're on the record. You want better atmospheres at American sporting events. You're envious of the World Baseball Classic. I think the World you're, Baseball Classic is very it's cool. Super yes. fun. There's a buzz yeah. throughout the entire game, but they're not wooing. They're chanting and things. Well, wooing is the is an is as American as it gets, man. Rick Flair, baby. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to disagree it's with Rick Flair. Uh, Sorry, pe- people are tweeting in here. Nick says Judd is the Tibbs of Minnesota sports media. He complains about everything, even in success, and is completely joyless in life in general. His only happiness comes from drinking copious amounts of alcohol. That's so unfair because I just picked the Wild. I picked the Wild to win in seven. I'm joyful. I'm optimistic when it comes to the Wild. How about that? I think he gets happiness in ordering the alcohol, too. It's the pursuit. It's when when he when he sees the barkeep, you know, pouring that glass, he gets pretty excited. It's, the, it's, the it's chase. not just the drink. I walk yeah. into is, bunnies. I'm happy. You're is right. the chase of a pilsner more exciting, or the actual uh, you know encounter when it the hits satisfaction? Of I think when it's. It. I think when I think when the first beer is set in front of you on on the bar, that's the ultimate time. So uh, I think it's when the the provider is put in front of me. That I'm the happiest I can possibly be, especially on a Friday night. Just making eye contact with that with that the, uh, IPA. Yes. Uh, unfixable force of chaos tweets in. Judd is the equivalent to George Costanza's father in taking no joy in anything. Wouldn't be surprised if Judd collects TV guides. <laughs> <laughs> do you collect TV guides? I do not collect TV guides. <laughs> I hate to disappoint. Now, I might have at one time, though, back in the day when I, I used to get TV guide. But I don't now know. Does that still exist? Like you could the TV guy because we all have know. guides on our you know. I don't digital. think I don't think TV guide still exists. If it is the little it, ones that, that I, I used to get I in the bet mail, it does I bet the old folks still take a take a read? I don't. I haven't seen one in ages. I'd have to go check the supermarket. I enjoyed them. Uh, yeah, you got to walk through the uh, the, the magazine the checkout line. line. Oh, I've yeah. done that. Uh, Dave, you said uh, we want to give you the floor here because you said you got to watch a full or or most of a Twins game for the first time here in a week and a half. Yeah, not and you the have first some time, complaints. but I haven't, haven't been able to watch a lot due to my own baseball coaching schedule. First of all, with the wooing, I'll go with this on Judd. Everybody gets, you know, say you get 40,000 people in a stadium. How about everybody gets one or two woos per game? So you don't have the guy behind you doing it seven times every half inning. Maybe you have to strategically place your woos 
But if everyone gets one or two, you get forty to 80,000 woos throughout a <gasps> nine-inning game. Sounds like Dave is with me. Well, no, I think Dave's in on the wooing. He's just making it more tolerable for the old farts like you. Yeah, I'm trying to well, help you out. If everybody did one still... woo, I'd be fine with that. It, it was the it was the people there last night that wouldn't stop. I don't mind it once in a while. I'm not saying it has to stop. I'm saying when it just continues to go around the stadium and you know a guy's doing it 30 times per game, that gets to be a bit much. Well, I'm calling for everybody to get a woo, so that's 40,000 if you fill the stadium. Okay. You happy with that? I would be fine. I would be fine with that because I'm not trying to draw a line on fun. I'm trying to draw a line on what's going to to make me want to jump out of the press box to my dad. Do you understand if, unless those 40,000 people are blending their woos together, if you had just 40,000 woos in succession, you would jump in front of a bus if you're annoyed by what happened. Let's blend them together. Let's blend them together. Let's all have a, you know what? Let's have a third inning woo. How about that? 40,000 people if you re- you know simultaneously. What? If, if you'll replace underwater cam with like the woo cam, I'd be all in for that. For Pantera sure. might not be happy about that. It's still be sponsored. All right. What else drove you nuts then, Dave? Well, a lot of things drove me nuts, but one thing stuck out in particular. You know, there was pace of play. The game was taking forever, but hey, pitchers can't throw strikes. That's going to happen when you're walking walking the entire lineups on both sides. There was uh, me tweeting back and forth with Reavers about Sano striking out with the bases loaded one out. I think that was the third inning. And, you know, I, I literally started writing the tweet with two strikes, thinking, yep, yeah, well, I know how third strike's going to happen. Sure. And send, boom, there you go. But what's annoying me most, the first week and a half, two weeks of baseball, I get it if it's 30 degrees, but what was it last night? Like 38, 40, 42 degrees? It was like, yeah, it was like, like 35 or something. It was yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that cold. It was playable, yes. Can we be done with the face and head coverings for 90% of the players? <laughs> there's two thoughts yeah. when it comes to weather. There's the old cliche of there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothing. That's crap because there is bad weather. There's some weather that clothing can't help. But there's also the the school of thought that says if you let the weather get in your head, if you let it affect you, if you think about it too much, it's going to affect you more than if it's just cold outside and you just bleep and deal with it. It wasn't that cold last night, boys. We don't all need to pretend like we're crossing Antarctica to try to play a baseball game. Well, okay. I think what happens though, so like we're from Minnesota, so we're just more we're just more we're more used to walking around when it's below zero right oh, and i get that and if you're you know from a caribbean country if you're you know whoever it is from the dominican it's colder for you probably than if you are joe mauer and you what's grew your up line here, 40 degrees uh, i mean it, it would depend on wind but you're I mean, also just standing out there in the outfield too and if the sun goes down and there's it's windy I, and then you're coming in your dugout and sitting under a heater for 20 right. minutes while dallas keichel can't throw strikes but i gotta admit i would wear the full i i want to stay as warm as possible out there because i just don't want to be miserable if you guys disagree, I mean, our show is about the length of a Twins-Astros game. Does anyone want to volunteer to stand outside for four hours without stu- any protection over their cold ears? Enough, Phil. Well, that is true. I, I we could, could probably get it down to about 38 in here. In here. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Of all, all the things I gripe about, that does not bother me. That really bothered me. It's doesn't just It seems like the mindset of the player is, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to hate this for three, three and a half hours, however, however long like, the games yeah. take. And I can't handle the cold. Worse, I mean, it's, it wasn't that bad, fellas. Just suck it up and deal with it and, you know, pretend that it's not that cold out and you might just play a little better. So I think I agree that if you're just outside for a little while, if you're just going to, like, walk to your car or if you're going to be outside for a run for 20 or 30 minutes, it's really not that bad. I mean, you can go out there. You can go for a run in a, in a sweatshirt and whatever, like some sweatpants, and you'll be fine. In fact, you'd probably be hot if you had a jacket 
and the full gear on. If you went for like a 20 or 30 minute run, which is a foreign concept to Judd and I, but I digress. If you're out there for like three or four hours and for half of that you're standing in the outfield, I could see how it's an open pasture and there's wind coming in and there's no sunlight because it's a night game, which is another thing like... Just play play day games this early in the oh, year. Oh no, no, outside. no! Fox Sports North needs mm-hmm. night games, Phil. Uh, I can see why over the course of three or three or four hours, why you would start to get really tortured in like the seventh or eighth innings. Yeah, it is, doesn't. Is, is, is a mask covering your mouth really going to help? Yeah, but it, it it comes up on your head with the hood helps out a little bit. I think it helps. Yeah, I, I'm. Well, I'm sure. not saying it doesn't. Uh, help. It doesn't bug I'm, me. I'm, just, I'm not saying it doesn't you know keep you warm. Say? I'm saying it's unnecessary, and it's just getting your I getting want, in your own head. I want last night. All I wanted was the starters to work quickly and throw strikes. Well, that would have been nice too. And that's what we didn't get. Oda Rizzi takes. He's really good. Takes way too long. He'd get the ball back Jack and do, Morris do your old Jason box. Marquis thing. Yeah, Jack Morris was yelling at him around. in the press box last night. It was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, Throw the damn ball! Jack, Jack <laughs> Morris was great. He said at, at one point, Jack goes, oh, these rules, they, they, they changed to speed up baseball are really working well, aren't they? It's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. Just work quicker, though. Well, yeah, you can work quicker. I don't know. I, I just want guys it to work It was one quicker. piece that bugged me. Maybe you guys don't agree. That's fine. No, I mean, I, th- I think I'm trying, I to, see how it I'm trying to put myself. Yeah, me. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who lives in Arizona, Florida, half the year, and or a Caribbean country, and how terrible it would be. You've got that. I've got wooing. I've got the wooing problem to tackle. Problem. I don't think you're going to win. I don't think either of us are going to win, frankly. Yeah, it could be like the Masters, where you just like ban wooing can and we, start to kick people out. Can we kick people out? Well, you shouldn't, because it's an. It's actually really. It's it's the perfect thing. <laughs> That takes something from American culture, okay, but American pop culture, they've got and it an idea. puts it into stadiums. 40,000 woos allowed, and I say I say that you're right. Let's do a sponsored bit where we all woo at the same time. I can't believe you take the wave over the woo. That is I hate them sacrilege. Both, but the wave ends quicker. The I, wooing just doesn't end right now. I hope, you go, I hope the next Twins game you go to sometime when the White Sox are in town, I hope we get woos blended in with a wave just to see what your reaction is going to be. I would go to the top deck. I'd go to the very, very top, and I would just launch myself towards the field. <laughs> and I would land on Sanoa and be perfectly safe. <laughs> wow. Uh, there will actually something else we should get to later this hour. Dan Hayes is going to join us. Something that was annoying to both you and I about Logan Morrison last night. And I don't know if like if he's if he's being coached on on this or what, but we'll we'll talk about that later on. Uh, let's go back to Wolves here. You may have seen something happen last night that leads you to root for a particular result tonight, but I th- think you should be careful what you wish for. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. So just be ready. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us. Uh, you know, you got to go out there and play. And you got to earn it. So we're looking forward to it. The simple formula: we got to go out there and win. I mean, there's no other way of uh, of uh, saying it. We just got to go out there and find a way to get a W. Every game counts. You know, the game you can look back on. You uh, lost teams that we had no business losing to, and you know it's haunting us now. We're gonna. He's so mellow, man. We're gonna come out tonight and um, try and beat Denver to get in the playoffs. It's the biggest game of my life, you know, Phil. Uh, someone emailed here earlier. Let me find this. Lance Christensen's mad at me. At some point, you have to back off your Wiggins bashing, Mackie. Eventually, your incessant need to take a shot at him at every turn leads any rational listener to assume one of the following. One, it's your favorite trolling chat tactic to attract attention to stir up controversy among the fan base, a la Skip Bayless. 
and in his uh, LeBron James takes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because like Skip Bayless talking about LeBron James is a lot like me talking about Andrew Wiggins. It's actually the opposite. Uh, number two, you're not that knowledgeable about basketball, so in lieu of having anything else to say, you keep going to the same well. And three, some way, somehow, you actually have a personal beef with Andrew Wiggins, which comes off as you having some sort of a weird complex over the fact that he's an actual professional athlete and you're not. Mm, Freshen it up, Mackie. That's, that's what it is. I think all three of those are correct. Number three, actually. for sure. For sure. Number three. Yeah. And now, as if he hasn't done it enough times already, Phil Mackey reminds us why he absolutely cannot stand watching Andrew Wiggins. Oh, this is the biggest game, you know, my career, my basketball career in general. You know, not only NBA, but, you know, college. On any level, you know, this is the biggest game. Sitting in the house, I'm loading up the pump. I'm loading up the Uzi. I got a couple of M16s, a couple of nines. I got a couple of joints with some silencers on. I'm just loading up clips, a couple of grenades. Got a missile launcher with a couple, you know, missiles. I'm ready for war. Um, I feel good. You know, I feel confident. You know, I feel we played a good game last time we played them. You know, we just came, came short at the end. You know, but I'm looking forward to this one. Pretty close. Pretty close. We know where Phil Mackey stands. But it's time to find out who else has joined him on the I'm Done with Andrew Wiggins bandwagon. <laughs> I mean, you know, KG, he oh, had man. a lot of passion back then. But if you really listen to Wiggy, if you really, really dissect, I mean, this is the biggest game of his career. Okay? It is. It is. Hey, if he goes, if he goes for 25, 5, and 3. And some defense tonight. 25-5-3 and three and some defense tonight. I promise not to rip him for at least 24 hours. <laughs> I'll, take a tw- I'll take a full day hiatus. 48 hours even. I can neg- I'll can. i even negotiate against myself. 48 hours. I promise. If he goes for 25-5-3, and three, Tibbs and, and Jimmy Buckets will both be amazed. Yeah. Uh, do you agree? Do you think I'm being too hard on him? Um, I think at times you, you are too fixated on him. Okay. But... Probably fair, but he is a massive disappointment, and it's partially because he shouldn't be a bust. There's no if he. Well, just, he's, not, he's not a bust. No, I get that. He's not a bust. But what I'm but what I'm saying is your your general bashing of him would would get really tiresome if he was just a bust and he stunk and the draft pick or the trade was just bad for sure. But he's not. It's the reason why Ron Gardenhire used to bash Danny Valencia, but not Siyoshi Nishioka. Because, like, he looked at Nishioka and said, oh, man, like, he's just not a major I'll give you the perfect example. Troy Williamson was a sorry, sad case of a player. He was drafted seventh. He shouldn't have been. He was a sorry player. He just wasn't good. He could run really fast, but he couldn't catch the football. and, And it's not his fault that he just stunk. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins doesn't apply himself, which makes him a very interesting case because you watch him play, and every now and again he's fantastic, and you say, okay, let's see that more, and then in- inevitably you don't see it more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, here's another thing, too, that I have started to sense from Wolves fans just based on the way the regular season has played out. The most likely scenarios, if they beat Denver and they get in, the most likely scenarios are 7 or 8 seed. They can still get the 6 seed. The 5 seed is dead now because you because Utah beat Golden State last night. So they can still get the six seed, but that involves Memphis beating Oklahoma City tonight, and that's pretty unlikely to happen. So, all right, it's either the seven or the eight seed if you get in, and I feel like the overriding consensus is, well, you got to avoid Houston. You would never want to play Houston in the first round, and hey, Steph Curry's out, so maybe you can 
Maybe you can catch Golden State at a bad time. And the Warriors got beat by 40 last night against Utah. They only scored 79 points in a 40-point loss to Utah last night. Uh, They did start Durant, Clay, and Draymond. Clay was a minus 40 in that game. So I get it. You're eyeing up the Golden State playoff matchup and saying, man, that's a team that you might be able to catch off guard or banged up. Be careful what you wish for. I don't think you should be fooled by the fact that the Warriors are limping down the stretch. It feels like a standard regular season lull after a multi-year dynasty. In fact, if you look at a lot of the previous dynasties in the NBA, this happens a lot where a team either injury set in or something, or they just get bored in the regular season. And the Warriors have flat out admitted that. Like Steve Kerr is saying, I'm having a hard time keeping their attention and uh, we've had to try some different things. Steve Kerr had the players coach one of the games like yeah. two weeks ago. And didn't didn't they lose, not not last night, but the game before that, or a couple games before that, I think they lost and Kerr tried to get mad, but you could tell he's just like, yeah, okay. Just get us to the middle yes. of April and it see what happens. It doesn't matter one I, I have a feeling if you're rooting for a Golden State playoff matchup because, oh my God, you don't want to play the Rockets, and the Rockets would be a terrible matchup too. You're about to be uh you're about to run into a buzzsaw, a team that will probably still go on to win the championship when Steph comes back in like the second or third round. I think if you play the Rockets, you get swept in four. I think if you play Golden State, you might win one. You might win game three back here. Might, but that's it. Yeah, it means nothing. If this is a hockey series, it's totally different. Yeah. Because ho- hockey's weird, goaltenders get hot, and and we've certainly seen uh eight and seven seeds win. The NBA, it happens how often? Almost never. Yeah, the last time, I think the last time it happened was actually, a, uh, a what was the coach's name? It was the Warriors and the and the Mavericks um, and the old Don Nelson. Don Nelson. Yeah. yeah, it was the, it was, so it was the Warriors like 2006 or seven that beat the Mavericks. But, you know, I even went back and just for fun, just to try to validate or invalidate my theory on this, the Chicago Bulls, their second three-peat. So when Jordan came back, their second three-peat. You oftentimes start off as a dynasty and you got something to prove to the league and you might even try to set the NBA wins record and everyone's all engaged in the regular season. But then after a year or two or three or four, your interest in the regular season starts to wane and your win total goes down. But then you're still able to turn it on in the playoffs. The Bulls went from 72 regular season wins down to 62 during their three-peat. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't get a lot worse. They just were less engaged and had some injuries and took some time off in the regular season. Uh, the Lakers, during the Kobe-Shaq dynasty, regular season wins decreased from 67, so they flirted with the overall regular season wins record, down to 56. And then during the Kobe-Gasol run, where they won a couple championships, they went from 65 regular season wins down to 57, but still won the championship. Uh, the Celtics of the 60s, which is before our time, but the Celtics of the 60s, the first great dynasty, well, you could see the Minneapolis Lakers, but uh, one of the first great dynasties in the NBA, they were a 48 and 34 regular season team by the end of it. They had just kind of they had aged a little bit and they had just kind of checked out of the regular season, but they still won the championship. Uh the Heat, you know, the Heat lost in their last finals with LeBron James, but uh that was kind of a mini partial dynasty. They went from they went down to 54 wins in you know their what? last year as a dynasty. So like it happens at this point. Don't look at the Warriors as a wounded duck though. And it's, Golden, it's bad news. Golden State, I'm not saying that that you you uh want to be embarrassed, but at this point in time they don't care, and I don't blame them. Do you remember the? Was it three years back or four years back now that they were going for the regular season victory total, and it was this huge deal? And I kept thinking to myself, who cares about that? Yeah, who cares? You want one thing, a championship. So you can, if you win seventy games or something ridiculous, that's great. And if you don't win a championship, nobody remembers. So yeah, I saw that last night, and I thought, okay, they've checked out for now. 
But if you're a Wolves fan and you're thinking, oh boy, this means that we're going to get Golden State, nah, it's not going to happen. No, the only like the the only real plausible positive scenario is if you beat Denver, San Antonio beats New Orleans, and then Memphis finds a way to upset Oklahoma City, which like Oklahoma City is in, but they're still playing for seeding, so they're yeah. going to try and win the game. Uh, that would offer up a three-way tie for the sixth seed, which Minnesota would have the tiebreaker over New Orleans and Oklahoma City. So they would get the sixth seed and play Portland, which gives you a better chance. So the other two are death sentences. What's your guess tonight? Gun to the head, what's your guess? I tweeted yesterday, if I found myself in some horrible, precarious situation where a hardcore basketball fan did put a gun to my head and demanded a result, I hate to say this, but I would lean Denver. Denver's three-point shooting is going to beat you, and their defense. Denver is pretty good defense right now. Yeah, Denver's much worse on the road, so the home court advantage should matter. You have the best two players on the court, so that's like that's two boxes you can check right away if you're the Wolves. But Taj is banged up. Jimmy hasn't played minutes. Like Jimmy's playing. Jimmy's going to play minutes. He's not playing forty minutes. He's not a forty. I mean, he might play forty tonight, but he hasn't been a forty-minute guy since before the injury. And Andrew Wiggins hasn't shown up in about two or three weeks. I mean, so many things would have to change here. Gun to the head, I think Jimmy has an enormous game and they still lose. I think Jimmy has a great game. I think Cat has a good game, but defensively he's certainly still not great. And I think Denver is a superior three-point shooting team to the team that we saw last Thursday. I think they lose and Jimmy has an enormous game. Yeah. Because Jimmy's going to have a big game. I'll be shocked. Jimmy's going to play. Jimmy's going to play way more than is advisable for him to play right now, and I think he's going to have a big game. I think, what's, but I don't think it'll be enough. What's comforting about Butler is if, let's say, the if his shot's not falling tonight. I mean, this is a game seven tonight. Like it's your regular season game seven. Yeah. If his shot's not falling, he has enough self awareness to get other people involved and just play lockdown defense or grab rebounds or. Um, so if, if he has a like a three for ten or a, a four for fifteen type night, or he senses it. I do think he'll make that shift and try to get Carl Anthony Towns going, try to get other people going, I think his try shot, to get Taj going. I think his shot falls. Uh, the, uh, the latest update on Taj, by the way, he did go through morning shoot-around. He's expected, according to John Krasinski from The Athletic, he's expected to try and play tonight. But I don't know if he's at 60%, yeah. 80%. Does he play minutes? Bad neck, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Dan Hayes from The Athletic will join us to talk some twins when we come back. Let's hear from Judd Zolgad, Prime Mortgage Lending Master, first of all. Well, thank you, Phil. And if you are considering your your options right now when it comes to mortgage companies, I want to suggest my friends at Prime and Kent McCullough. And I want to tell you why I'm suggesting Prime. It's because this isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust. In fact, they would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. And you're asking yourself now a very simple question. What does that mean exactly? And I'm going to tell you. Means that while Prime would love to have you as a client, they want to meet with you first. They want to sit down and they want to explain their plan. And then after that, the decision is up to you. This is about a couple of key things. It's about teamwork. It's about collaboration. It's about trust. That's what Prime's all about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. For instance, Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing cost? Not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. And now you're saying to yourself, okay, that sounds great. Where do I go to find out more? I'm going to give you a website. It's goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. More Mackie and Judd with Dan Hayes after this. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Yeah, screw those guys. I don't even like them. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. 
Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for The Athletic, Dan Hayes. Courtesy of Prime Mortgage Lending of Bloomington. Home is where your story begins. Two and two. That's to the gap in left center. Reddick is cutting over. He won't get there. Woo! Extra base hit. And he will ah. slam on the brakes with an RBI double. That's Dan Hayes this question. Let's uh, ask Dan uh, Hayes this question. Uh, Dan Hayes from The Athletic. Theathletic.com oh. slash twins to follow his coverage. Uh, I am pro Ric Flair wooing. <laughs> Judd is anti-Ric Flair wooing and said he'd rather have the wave, and he hates I, the wave as well. It was the constant wooing, Dan. I don't mind. I don't mind the occasional woos. It was sitting in a in an empty ballpark last night, and those yahoos going woo. That's what drove uh, yeah. me crazy. No, it, it was a little over the top last night, but at the same time, we were in the warm press box, and those guys were just trying to keep themselves uh, warm outside, and and it it definitely is over the top. I mean, Houston's actually worse. Uh, Houston has the dome and they do it all the time. And it, it, it definitely can get a little uh, annoying for sure. So I, I am, uh, I probably run out of it after about three days. So I'm sure we'll have 81 games of it. And uh, I'll, I'll be fully on board the uh, no wooing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one, one thing, uh, Joe Maurer, uh, another solid night at the plate last night, he had an RBI and uh, I think a lot of us in this town, when he went through that three-year stretch, coming coming from catcher to first base, you know, the batting average went down into the 260s. I think it was even in the 250s one year. The on-base percentage plummeted. And what power he really ever showed outside of 2009 kind of dropped off. Like We had kind of written him off as a player, but his season last year and now the start that he's off to, he's got twice as many walks as hits. He's driving the ball, and he's... Seems to be off to a pretty good start. What do you make of Joe Maurer as a player now in his mid-30s last year on his contract? It's a very interesting yeah, case here. It absolutely is. His hard hit rate is up. I think he had nine balls hit it or more so far. And Last year, you know, that that's paced for way more than he did last year. And last year he had 105. So, I mean, if he does this, he's a very dangerous hitter. And, and the thing that I always – my takeaway was because, you know, you still see him 18 times a year when uh, they played the White Sox – he was always going to be a tough at bat for pitchers because he just knows how to work a count. And now he's got that little bit of danger back with it. And and for him to be behind Dozier in that lineup and, and in front of Sano, you know, Miguel Sano struck out quite a bit early on, but those two are going to wear out pitchers by the time Sano and Rosario and, and Morrison roll around and be on base a lot. I mean, last night was a little absurd. I think it was seven of eight, or maybe it was even more than that. Maybe it was a uh, nine of 10. It, you know, if, if those guys are doing even half of that a game, they have a lot of chances to score. But Brian Dozier said it early in spring. He thinks that Joe Maurer is, is healthy again, that the, the division is really back. Um, whatever is going on, it is, it's great to, because he's such a professional, consummate guy. You knew the effort was already there and always there. And obviously not living up to the part of that contract, it, it you know, I mean, he signed a, a fair deal for him at the time and, it's never been an effort thing, but for him to have that effort turn into these results is, is great because I don't think he's done. I, I think if he can keep this up, he's the kind of guy you want to keep around for another year or two. It, it, there's still a little bit left there, and especially when you throw in the defense, which, uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't a Gold Glove finalist last year is a little surprising. Yeah. Uh, the Morrison shift, help me out here. <laughs> but but if you are willing, if, if, if I'm him, 
And you basically say to me, there is no way that, that you can functionally put the ball on the third base side. And you move your third baseman to left field and play four guys out there. How on earth, especially when, when you're scuffling and struggling, Dan, how on yeah. earth do you not bunt occasionally? I mean, if nothing else, if you bunt, they, they've got, got to now say, okay, he's, if he's willing to bunt, this could be a problem. Because with the shift that they put on him in these first two games at times, you could bunt and walk to first base. If you got the ball down towards third base, no one's going to throw you out. I don't get this. Yeah, I think it's probably just because it takes him out of his comfort zone. I mean, it's not a guy that's used to bunting. And, and especially with Justin Verlander throwing 95 up there, you know, I think the whole thing is to take guys out of their comfort zone. And A.J. Hinch talked about it yesterday in his pregame session. Hey, I'll give him this single. That's not what he's paid to do. He's paid to hit home runs, and and so we will give him that single, or we'll give him that double on the occasion that it gets far enough into the outfield. They're fine with that, and I think that when you think that, when you hear the opposing team say that, uh, it's playing into their hands. So I understand. I mean, at this point, I don't know that I'd want him to try. Right, last night he had two rockets off his bat, and I think that it possibly could take away from him and, and put him a little bit further behind if you go out of what you're trying to do and getting it corrected. So I, I go back and forth on it all the time. It looks so easy because that just big, wide patch of grass is right there. And, and it, it, you know, I think it also comes down to situation and, and what the score is. And if it's a one-run game late, you know, I mean, we saw Chancisco do it with seven runs, or seven runs down, and it affected that ball game. Um, it, it definitely – seems like something that would be easy to accomplish but at the same time i don't know how much he works on bunting and and if he's not good at it then i don't want him doing that either yeah so we uh that's the thing like you can't ask a guy to change his his swing mechanics i don't think i mean there's a lot of hitters that are just able to hit the ball all over the place Jose Altuve, Joey Votto, Joe Joe Mauer to some degree although he has a couple groove spots too and those yeah. guys i mean those guys Joey Votto doesn't get shifted as aggressively and so defenses respect that so you'd have to find a way to not screw up your whole swing while trying to just you know poke baseballs down the left field line. So I get why it's difficult, but maybe once in a while, just to keep teams honest, if you could develop something that that wound up pushing a ball past the third base bag, that maybe would allow you to get to second base too. But he's not that fast, so I'd have to think it's kind of a psychological deal too. When you stand up there and you know that, well, like I'm already slumping, and now if I do hit a ball hard, it's probably going to go right to a fielder. That's got to be tough for him. It probably does, but I think that you, at that same time, have to trust the process because he. Okay, seventy sixers. Okay, seventy sixers. <laughs> I know, I know that's so <laughs> terrible, but but you know you talk to coaches all the time about this, and and as long as guys are hitting, you know, going through their bat the way they want to, I mean, we know this sport is gonna barely, rarely ever give you a three hundred average, and so you're preparing to suck about seven and a half times out of ten when you go to the plate. But as long as you're hitting the ball hard, I think you know that that's the way you want to go. And, I, you know, if I'm him last night, those two line drives off the bat, um, you know, one resulted in hit, one resulted in out shortstop. But he's got to know he's really close right now. And, and so I think, you know, it's, you see those signs and it's hard to get away from that. Um, and, and you really, it is, it's so sad to say trust the process. But in a sport where Tony Gwynn's one of the best all time and he got out six and a half times out of ten, you know, you're you're pretty much terrible at the plate six and a half times out of ten. Yeah. Uh, you you almost really have to buy into everything and just keep going with it. 
Just one bun. That's all. Um, the, the, the bullpen, sir, and you, you didn't cover this team uh, in 2017, although you did see them quite a bit. But the bullpen, to me, is a dynamic that, that has shifted and has changed in, in a huge way. I mean, a year ago... A year ago, it was okay at times, but, I mean, they brought through a 1,000 guys. It was a mess at times as well. I think the thing now is that, that we've seen is when, when they go out there, you were bringing in a stable of guys that are going to keep you in, in the game and that, that you can rely on, where last year you said to yourself, eh, this might not work. Absolutely. I remember when Brandon Kinsler got traded, and yep. I was like, There's, what are they doing? Where, you know? I remember that exact thought, and who's going to get these outs for them? And I was looking at Matt Belisle, and and he did a good job. At, um, you, you look at Trevor Hildenberger, and he did a good job as a rookie. And there's so much more certainty, even if Fernando Rodney is a guy that's going to probably scare fans every time. Um, but 82% career rate, there's something to be said about that. And Zach Duke, uh, he's had mixed results early on, but he still knows what he's doing, and he knows how to go through the middle of the lineup like he did last night. Addison Reed was out with strep throat, um, wasn't available, and, and they could turn to Duke. And, and Ryan Presley, when you bump Ryan Presley down to your fourth or fifth best reliever, and, and they're working with him on some stuff to get him, I mean, his stuff is so nasty. Um, you know, talking to Garvin last night, he said that opposing hitting coaches said of Ryan Presley, that guy might have the best stuff on the entire staff. And, and so if they can hone that into what he's been so far and keep it up, I mean, you're talking about a four or five trustworthy deep bullpen, and that's huge for a team because look at Addison Reed last night. I mean, he's been really good so far. The other day when he gave up the run, I think the, the hit percentages on those were ridiculously low and some bad luck. But at the same time, he's been very good. And So if you can throw Presley in that mix, if Hildenberger can find a little bit of what he was last year, he struggled early, um, but if he can find what he was and Taylor Rogers can come in and get the lefty out, You've got a really decent bullpen. It's not outstanding. It's not elite, but it's really good. And with this offense, um, I, I think that you can go in and expect a two or three run lead quite a bit late in games. And, and this this group can get you through that. There's question. Yeah, Dan Hayes from the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/twins. If you want to subscribe and check out his stuff, where are you at on Byron Buxton, who seems to be swinging at more pitches? It's early. It's only a nine-game sample, but swinging at more pitches than he did last year. He hasn't drawn a walk yet. Um, he's hit a couple balls hard, so there's maybe some some batted ball luck in there. But it's it's another fairly slow start, albeit in only two weeks. Like, what do you make of his start so far? It, it definitely. There's been a couple of encouraging swings the last couple of days, but at the same time, I mean, what I the, the takeaway I've had from him just in talking to him is that there's going to be confidence that no matter if there's a slow start, he will turn it around. I think last year taught him that, and he feels that he can come back from the dead almost, um, hitting 199 towards the end of June last year. Ended up having a good season and, and knows as long as he's making contributions in the outfield, that's that's important during the slow times. But that that's where I, I think that's an important thing for a young guy is even when he's struggling early on. Um, and he's felt like he's hit the ball pretty hard at times. It's been hit and miss. It's been a mixed bag for sure, and, and there is a, he has been aggressive. Um, but this is the, only the second time all season that they've played three days in a row. And, and even as a writer, that's felt strange. And, like, this season has been out of rhythm so far. And it's, I, I can understand why guys talk about how hard it is to develop a rhythm. Um, so I, I, 
I can see some struggles. If this keeps going, then you got to worry about it. But he's still confident right now, and I, I can gather why. And, and it should be kind of interesting to see how much earlier he can pull out of that than he did last year. Yeah. I want, I want to ask you real quick about, because you covered the White Sox, and you're familiar with, with Chicago. And, like, they had, I know they're rebuilding, but they had 970 people show up to a game this week. <laughs> and, and, yes, the weather is cold, and it's snowing, and it's crappy, and I get that. But even in 2005, when they won the World Series, they were below average in in the you know, average number of people showing up to their game. So what is it about the White Sox that just doesn't seem to connect or resonate with fans on the same level as other teams or even the Cubs in their own city? Well, they definitely have a – the fans have a prove, me, prove to me that you don't suck mentality. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that's something that's been – I mean, even in 2012, when they were in the pennant race still the last couple of weeks, they just weren't drawing and. I know it's discouraging for players. You, you can. I, I've, I've had one player tell me that he's in the middle of a bat. He fell behind 0-2, and it's so quiet in there that a fan yelled from about 15 rows up that he sucks. And the umpire stopped and said, how do you do this every game? Um, I, it, it's a quiet place. You have to be prepared for that. I do think that the way they are going right now should kind of endear themselves to fans. The same way the Cubs, you know, they brought along this young core of guys that people were really kind of following along from the start. And, you know, you've got some really – Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech and all those guys, when they make their debuts, you know, Mon- Moncada, when he came up last year, there was a lot more interest in the team from that point on. But the 970, you know, <laughs> that game – I think that was Monday's game, right? Uh, they'd moved it up from a 7 p.m. start. and The weather was – while it was 27 here, you know, there was like a 32 there. And fans just – aren't going to show for a bad product. And right now they still are. I mean, that bullpen is pretty rough. And, uh, you know, the offense is really exciting. I actually think that that's one reason why they were able to give the Twins so much trouble at times last year is Abreu and Avi Garcia in the middle. And, you know, Matt Davidson's hitting a little bit this year. And Tim Anderson's walking. um, But it's still not a finished product. And people are kind of just going to spend their money when that team is a finished product, which is unfortunate because – it can be uh, a great place to go watch a ball game. I mean, there's, you know, it's not a bad park. Um, I, it's definitely something that fans there too, the, hard, the diehard fans, are, are pretty bitter about because it always gets mentioned. But I mean, it's a constant issue. It has been for six years. Yeah, for sure. Hey, great stuff, and we'll talk again next week, Dan. See you, Dan. All right, guys. Thanks for All having right. me on. Dan Hayes from the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash Twins. We got a chance to finally meet him in person at Target Field last night. So he's a good dude. And uh, and he's Dan Hayes, MLB on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to follow him, he's he, he's got experience doing TV on NBC Sports Chicago, and he's uh, he's just done a great job covering baseball the last few years. Let's talk more about that Lomo bunt theory. Is there ego and pride involved? Is it more just, hey, we're, we're not going to sacrifice potential power for a few singles here and there against shifts like that? Does it make sense for him to to change it up if they're going to shift like that? Uh, real quick, let's talk about Chris Lindahl, though, the number one REMAX results team in America, and the Seller Workshops, which are taking place April 16th through the 18th, powered by the Chris Lindahl team. And get this. So if you just take an hour, maybe an hour and 30 minutes, it's 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 going to be somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes, the Seller Workshop, April 16th through the 18th. You just take that hour, and all the things you're going to learn about real estate and marketing and the Chris Lindahl team tactics could help earn you thirty to sixty thousand dollars on the sale of your home. So that's like 
think about that. For one hour of your time, thirty to sixty thousand dollars, and you deserve that money. This is one of the biggest potential uh, money making opportunities of your life. You don't want to squander tens of thousands of dollars. So make sure you're up to speed on all of the things that the Chris Lindahl team is doing. You can go to sellerworkshop.com. That's sellerworkshop.com, or call seven six three four zero one sold. Seven six three four zero one sold. Phil Mackey. The thing about Phil is he's he's so temptable. He likes to go the thrill route. That's what makes Phil exciting. Judd Zolgad. Judd, have you wandered away from the house again? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Kick off your spring in stride with the Medtronic TC One Mile. It's happening Thursday evening, May 10th on the riverfront in downtown Minneapolis. It's short and sweet, fast and fun. Uh, run with co-workers or friends and family. Choose from race waves for first-timers, recreational runners, corporate teams, and more. Then stay to cheer on the pro runners racing at amazing speeds and enjoy the post-race party with food trucks, a cash bar, and a live DJ. Head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword events, for more details. Thank you, Dave. Twins lineup here. Lance McCullers is the pitcher on the mound. Tough right-hander, former first-round pick, really good player. Really good pitcher who had a lights-out first half of the season last year, then had some injury things and wasn't quite the same. And is actually better as a right-handed pitcher against lefties than righties, which is odd. Which makes but this an interesting lineup today for the Twins. It is. So the Twins went almost all left-handed hitters. And that's the tough thing. Okay, if a pitcher is better against lefties, but maybe your lefty hitters are better against righties, like where, you know, how do you reconcile that? But uh, So Brian Dozier leads off. Then you have Joe Maurer DHing. Eddie Rosario batting third. Sano is not in the lineup today. Logan Morrison playing first base, batting cleanup. Eddie Escobar batting fifth and playing third base. Max Kepler batting sixth. Byron Buxton batting seventh. Castro in the eighth spot. And then Adrianza getting a start at shortstop today. Switch hitter, so he can bat left-handed or right-handed. I don't know. I guess Apparently he's going to bat left-handed, though. Right. And then Kyle Gibson on the mound. On the Logan Morrison discussion, it's insane what they're doing to shift him. I mean, it's obviously it, it works and the Astros put a lot of thought into shifting and they're sort of at the forefront of that movement the last few years. But if you haven't seen it, it's four outfielders. So the third baseman goes to left field. It's like a softball outfield. It's four outfielders. I tweeted it out. Yep. A picture of it. And then, yes. but it's really five outfielders because the three remaining players are all in the infield. Technically they're all infielders, shortstop, second base, first base. And they're all to the right of second base, yep. but the second baseman is basically playing mid to shallow right field. Uh, and they're just leaving this entire pasture wide open until you get to that left fielder. For someone to poke a ball down the left field line, here's the conundrum for a Logan Morrison. And I'm assuming they've had all kinds of conversations about this. They're not He's not just walking up to the plate without someone, a coach explaining like, well, here's what's going to happen. His main value as a hitter is slugging. It's bases in bulk, right? And he hasn't given you much of that yet because he's off to a slow start. But he had 38 bombs last year. It's bombs and it's doubles. That's the value that he gives you. So if by just shifting, the Astros are making Logan Morrison drop a bunt down the third baseline and, you know, best case scenario, let's say it's a single, the Astros are saying, well, we're taking away his only strengths that can harm us over the course of a season, Yep. home runs and doubles. So they're willing to make that trade-off. Yep. If every team starts to shift him that way, let's go all the way with this. If every team starts to shift him that way, he can't and shouldn't bunt all the time. Right. But should he bunt enough to keep them honest Absolutely. and make them move over to some degree? And and he entered last night's game batting 043. If he's on fire, 
Swing away. I'm all for it. But he entered last night's game at 0-43 with one RBI, no home runs, okay? So my point is this. You're struggling. You know you're scuffling. If you can bunt at all, they are they are basically giving you a free base. And if you're red hot and hitting home runs, you don't take one free base. You try for four. I get that. But if you are struggling like he is in that predicament, I think you bunt. I think you bunt to at least tell them I I that this is a threat. Because they're not if you get the ball down, who's going if if you get it even slightly down the third base line, the catcher can't get out in time to throw you out, and the pitcher can't get yeah. o- over to Especially throw you out. Especially if it's a right-handed pitcher who's falling off the mound to the left, and now like there's no, now there's nobody going over to that side of the field. Yes. So, yeah, I, I do understand why it's not just a no-brainer, though, because his goal isn't to beat the shift. It's to hit the ball over the shift. So, I mean, that's his thing. Like, he's been a power hitter his whole I, career, and last year it clicked. So I in get his, that. In his mind, he's going up there, and he doesn't really care where they're standing because he just wants to hit it over all of them. Mm-hmm. And that should be... His value, like that's why they signed him. They didn't sign him to bunt. They signed him to, or to get base hits even. They signed him to swing for the fences and hit three-run bombs. But it does make sense when when you're scuffling and they're going to get, give you that base to attempt to take that base, right? Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like there's a certain, now what what about if, if you're him and you start dropping these bunts down, I don't even know if if, if the opposing team would, because they're, they're only shifting that extreme when there's nobody on base. If there's somebody on base, then they they have to put somebody to the left of second base sure. to, to make sure that there's not you know a jailbreak runner going to third base. Sure. Um, like even if you just have a runner on first base, if that guy gets a good jump and there's nobody covering third, you would just keep running to third base. So you would you might be able to steal first and uh, second and third base. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I would consider it. I would consider it. It shouldn't be a no brainer, obvious all the time thing, but it should be a thing that you have in your. In your tool belt, for sure. Pioneer Press stat this morning, he has a seven career bunts in his career and one since t- uh, 2016. So he doesn't do it. Is there a success it. rate on that? Or so no? he doesn't do it, no. But I, I doubt mean, if they're sacrifices, right? Maybe yeah, no, I'm, I'm guessing that, that they're bunts for, uh, potentially to try and get hits. But my point being is if he's going really well, then forget about it. That's fine. But when you, are, when you basically aren't getting on base, it can't hurt to try. In fact, I think he was... If I'm not mistaken, the game in Pittsburgh where he got hit on the foot by the pitch, he was trying to bunt, correct? Did, yes. Didn't he square around? Because we, we all thought at the time that but that was sort of weird. And no, I didn't see the what situation. their shift was. But that's, well, there was runners on base in that spot. So the shift wasn't nearly okay. as extreme. That was a situation where you're pinch hitting him. He's coming up as a pinch hitter. And I don't know if Paul Molitor called for a bunt or if he just took it upon himself. But that's a spot where, dude, no, no, no. You're being called upon to hit a bomb here. So now if you're up by two runs in the eighth inning and they're shifting you and there's nobody on, drop a bunt down. Just drop a bunt down. I'm with you on that. All right, we're going to get some sports culture here uh, from John Cosgrove. We're going to continue to uh, discuss the exciting sports day and night here in Minnesota. In fact, the Twins are about to start game three of this series against the Astros in about 10 or 15 minutes. So we'll keep an eye on that. We got Wolves and Wild tonight. Some sports culture coming up here with John Cosgrove, Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio.